Hello and welcome to On the Line. I'm Carl Richter. April Mathis has earned a place on the list of most acclaimed artists from Texarkana. Born and raised on the Texas side, she has honed her craft as an actor for more than two decades. It paid off with two Obie Awards for her off-Broadway work, and now she is making her Broadway debut. Mathis plays Grace in The Piano Lesson, August Wilson's 1987 Pulitzer Prize-winning drama. She is part of an A-list cast that includes Danielle Brooks, John David Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson. We talked about her memories of Texarkana, her path to success, her part in the play, and more. Here's my conversation with April Mathis. Joining me on the phone from New York City, it's April Mathis. Hi, April. Hello, how are you? Great. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so great to talk to the home paper. Yeah, I know you grew up here. Were you born here? Yes, I was born in Wadley Hospital. Ah, just a little ways away. Um, what, yep. do you th- what do you think about when you think about Texarkana? I think about my family. Um, I think about the Perot Theater, you know, Texas High, uh, the state line. I think about um, Central Mall <laughs> <laughs> and the, the fireworks behind Central Mall, you know. Um, it's uh, Spring Lake Park, mm-hmm. just the, the Robinson Road. I mean, it, it, the landscape... And uh, the landmarks in the community uh, are just embedded into my subconscious. Like, you know, I find myself having kind of metaphorical, symbolic dreams that Mm. upon waking, I realize they are locations in Texarkana. Like sometimes I'll be at a literal crossroads and it'll be like the... um, uh, on ramp to the highway from like Wake Village, uh-huh. crossing over into like the main part of town. Like that, I'll when I wake up, I'm realizing like, oh, what I was looking at was like an aerial view of Texarkana. It's just so odd. That's interesting. That I've noticed that the last few years, but yeah, it's it's. In there, even though, you know, I haven't lived there for 20 some odd years, it's it's definitely still still in me. Yeah, our places are a real part of us. And that that plays into the player in uh, right now. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, I I read that you were involved in stuff like yearbook and band when you're here. When did acting come in? Uh, well, you know, acting was never an official thing. It was always kind of uh, like just part of how I behaved at home. I was super into play. And, you know, um, and my folks can tell you, you know, I had a tape recorder and uh, I would just make up like play hooky from church and make up my own sermons and (laughs) record those and, uh, you know, make up TV shows like in, in the 
age of like uh, Oprah and Donahue. Like I'd, I'd host my own show with my my sister as a two year old as my guest, and uh, I had a Casio keyboard. I would <laughs> write my own jingles for fake commercials. Like you know, um, it was just part of a really kind of heightened play. And you know, my folks, you know, my mom would improv with me you know if we were making fun of you know somebody who was racist and you know we would do that accent that we heard Uh in the town or you know like it was just humor was a way to kind of um look at life and uh everybody had a sense of imagination like my my grandfather would uh uh, perform like dramatic texts in church. And, you know, we, we called them speeches, mm-hmm. you know, for, for Easter, but it was really just um, like, uh, you know, reciting religious poetry or whatever, but it, it was a tradition of performance and especially like growing up um, in the black Baptist church, there was a lot of oratory and performative tradition right. that, uh, you know, little that I realized was like an education, but uh, just was woven into the, the fabric of my creative life. But, it, it, you know, uh, as far as school, I, I pursued those other things. I never was in um, the uh, I, I never did theater or drama because I my electives were already taken up with uh, other things. But, you know, of course, in hindsight, I'm like, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd gotten into uh, those kinds of things earlier. Yeah. It's really but interesting. I, um, when did you first get on stage? Oh, that would be in Austin, Texas, mm. probably around uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I was a college student and um, I had taken a performance studies class Um taught by this deaf queer performance artist, Terry Galloway. Wow. And it was, it was cross-referenced with women's studies. So, um, you know, again, like it was just as hard to get into the acting classes at UT as it was, um, you know, in uh, Texas high. But um, this was like a kind of academic performance studies class. Right. And uh, that class kind of encouraged me to uh, pursue acting in the the Austin community theater scene, which was really vibrant. There Mm. were a lot of theater companies and a lot of people um, performing um, original work. So the first thing I did was a stage adaptation of A Tale of Two Cities. at uh, the Vortex Theater. Was there a light bulb moment when you realized, hey, I'm I'm good at this. I could make a run at making this a career? Uh, well, career, I, I don't know. But uh, I remember the first time I had like an honest uh, acting impulse. Like I, I remember there was, we, we had been doing this show and it occurred to me in the moment during a performance, like uh, I think it's the, the the speech that the 
hero gives is a far, far better thing than mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> and uh, I took off my hat and I placed it on my chest. And that was like, oh, that's that's good. <laughs> good acting there. Yeah, and that's not you me. Know. That's the character, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I hadn't ever taken any acting classes, talked about motivation or whatever. But, like, uh, I discovered that. And that was very exciting. And so, you know, I felt like before at home, I had just been kind of always messing around and, you know, I would read plays with expression and have fun, but, you know, never really was sure whether I was like a really objectively good actor. Mm. And so that made me think, oh, wow, like, I have some impulses. Like I, I like this. I want to have more discoveries. Maybe I'll have more discoveries. Right. How'd you get to New York? Uh, well, so I started working in the Austin kind of uh, experimental theater scene there for about a year. And uh, within a year I had worked at Zachary Scott theater and kind of uh, done everything that I had wanted to do and work with everyone I wanted to work with. And uh, a playwright whose play I had just done, uh, Ruth Margraff, uh, we had done the Southwest premiere of her play, The Cry Pitch Carols, uh, with this theater company, um, Salvage Vanguard. Mm. And uh, she had a sublet, or her partner at the time, had a sublet in New York. And uh, they let me uh, rent out that sublet. And, you know, I was told when you moved to New York, you needed $3,000. You needed at least 1000 for rent, 1000 security, and 1000 for the um, uh, deposit. Mm-hmm. And uh, or first and last month's rent and security deposit. That's what it was. Right. And um, so this sublet was like $700 and I didn't need that first and last month's rent. So I took my last paycheck from, um, uh, publishers resource group where I was working at the time as my day job and took that paycheck and paid for that sublet. And so that was like my foothold in the city. Interesting. And I I guess you just started um, auditioning there, huh? Yeah, I I, I, uh, started working. The first play was at the New Yorkian Poets Cafe, a famous uh, uh, performance venue uh, in the Lower East Side, which uh, mostly is for the the Puerto Rican uh, performing community. But they were doing a play there. And so that was the first thing I got cast in. And I started doing readings and workshops. And from there started to build up a network of uh, people working in the New York downtown theater scene. And uh, since then you've won a couple of Obie awards for off Broadway performances. Yes. Literally two. Uh, The first one was in 2015, and that was kind of like a, a catch-all. It was sustained excellence of performance, and so that was just kind of like a, a recognition of like the work I had done 
thus far over the years. Hmm. And then in 2020, I received an Obie Award for performance uh, for my role in the in Tony Stone, where I played the title character. Um, so that was a nice uh, thing to get. Yeah. Uh, in the early throes of the pandemic, uh, coming off of the the last show that I had done. Mm-hmm. And not knowing when I was going to get to do theater again. So, um, yeah, that was really lovely. So let's talk about the piano lesson by um, August Wilson. Yes. Tell me if you think this is a fair sort of broad summary of it. It's about, it's set in 1936. Mm-hmm. And it's about a black family who's on this sort of threshold between the past and the future. There's a precipitating event, a death, that causes the various characters to have to reckon with that and what it means. Do you think that describes it pretty well? Yeah, I say, but the main thing is it centers around uh, this family heirloom, which is right. the piano that is in the, the, the family's possession, which is carved with the images of their ancestors by a um, great-grandparent who was enslaved. And it, the, the piano belonged to the uh, white family that enslaved them. And uh, uh, it was rescued from that family because it was bought with uh, the family members. They were traded for this piano. Right. And so the... Um, the uh, freed family members who were the descendants uh, uh, got this piano back and took it out of the house and put it in their own home and uh, died uh, as, as, as punishment for that. And uh, the, the, the conflict that the play centers around is the sister who wants to keep the piano in the family and the brother who wants to sell the piano to get the land that belonged to the white family that owned uh, the black family. Right. And um, this piano, I've seen photos of the um, piano in the production you're in right now. It's very, oh, great. it's very beautiful. Um, yes. Uh, I, I watched the TV movie adaptation Oh, last wow. night. Um, <laughs> and um, that that one was done more crudely um, with the uh-huh. s- sculpture. But uh, in any case, yeah, this piano is just this real tangible symbol of everything this family's gone through. Yes, it has uh, different depictions of marriages, births, deaths. It, you know, it's a uh, really kind of uh, radical thing that this uh, the the great grandfather did at the time was to take basically an assignment like decorate this piano for the mistress because she misses these slaves and he took it took ownership of it for himself uh, even knowing that he would gain no monetary value from it. He, it was, it's 
a, a real act of resistance and uh, reclaiming to take this object that was purchased with his family and make it make it embody his family and make it something that is uh, you know undeniably his mm. his work. How did you get the part? I'm sorry, say that again. How did you get the part? Uh, it was an offer that came to me uh, right after I had done Tony Stone in 2019. Mm. Uh, I got a message that said, all involved, uh, including the producers and Miss Latonya Richardson-Jackson, who is our director, uh, would would like you to be a part of this piece. And it mentioned that Samuel L. Jackson, Danielle Brooks, and John David Washington, who's the son of Enzel Washington, had all been cast. And uh, yeah, which, you know, I, this is my Broadway debut. I've been working in the theater for 20 years and I uh, have auditioned for Broadway, but hadn't, done any Broadway yet and so this came as a straight offer to play Grace who uh, uh, appears in the second act uh, with Boy Willie and leaves with his friend Lyman mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah that that's what happened and well, you I, must have my, been, I can you must have been over the moon it was really great um, you know uh, it just I had actually lost a really good friend of mine uh-huh. uh, earlier that month. And um, yeah, it was, I was, I was reeling from that and, you know, not knowing that we would <laughs> be entering a plague in the new year. Um, it just seemed like something really um, special to, to have with alongside of like a a new fresh grief was like uh, a promise of, of work, which I've always found really kind of uh, deeply satisfying and grounding the Mm. work that I get to do. Uh, Grace, it's a relatively small role in the, in the play. Um, What do you see as Grace's place in the story? I think what Grace does is she brings the life of African-Americans in this time period, in this very specific location, which is the Hill District of Pittsburgh. Uh, at As you said, 1936, she brings in that nightlife and that spirit um, and that consciousness and injects it into the play because what you have before that is the character boy Willie coming from the South and uh, this piano, which is uh, a relic of the antebellum South and the transatlantic slave trade and the, the human cost and blood and uh, his sister, uh, Bernice talks about the literal blood in and on the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all that painful history of African 
Americans in particular and and the the South. And then you have this northern African American community that's thriving, that uh has joy and pleasure, there's jazz, there's um, you know, cinema. Uh, uh, Boy Willie's best friend Lyman talks about going to the picture show all mm-hmm. the time and, mm-hmm. and, and meeting women at the picture show. And so uh, what Grace is, you see, whereas Bernice is this single mom who is widowed and uh, has suitors but isn't really interested in pursuing marriage and, uh, you know, is accused of being like, cut off emotionally and uh, maybe also sensually. Mm-hmm. And here you have a woman who is embracing sensuality, embracing pleasure, um, does not, is not dour and, um, uh, you know, stayed in her scenes. She comes in giggling, mm-hmm. you know, she mm-hmm. comes in dancing. She's, full of life. She's wearing this vibrant, beautiful uh, 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 engine red dress that I get to wear. Mm. Um, and, uh, and as mentioned in the play, uh, you know, she, she had on a red dress and yeah. this, this woman who's this young, vibrant woman in her prime, who's full of life and unapologetic about that in a time where uh, even in the North, for um, somebody on the socioeconomic rung of American history, uh, on the disenfranchised uh, spectrum, could be seen as the most disenfranchised, and yet she has the most fun in the play and is the most free. Does having less time on stage bring more pressure or less pressure on your performance do you think i mean i'm i'm not playing the characters who spend more time on stage so i can't speak to what that experience is about uh-huh. i mean i know that it is exhausting in a different way but i will say that i do exhaust myself and i do feel a lot of pressure to make this character that we get two scenes with to make her into a full three-dimensional person and not just the butt of a joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm working really, really hard to make her um, just as rich and vibrant um, and to leave the audience with a sense of who is this woman? How can we get to know her more? Right. Where's the grace play? You know, yeah, the so, sequel. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, you know, and I've had friends, they're my friends, but still they, I think they're discerning and honest with me. And they say, you know, we wish you were in the first act. So I, I want people to have that sense of like, grace is memorable. Grace mm-hmm. is a presence. She's a force. She's got a point of view and she's not just the object of desire, but she's, she's the subject of her own desire and, uh, uh, vibrancy. Yeah. You mentioned the rest of the cast. Uh, tell me what it's like working with them, especially such a big famous star as Sam Jackson. 
Um, well, you know, they make it really normal to be in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, you know, before the pandemic hit that I was going to meet Samuel L. Jackson on my birthday in 2020. Uh, my birthday is April 6th, and that's when we were going to start um, a workshop of this play before uh, production that would have happened in the fall of 2020. And of course, that did not happen. So I did not meet Sam. And so when we were here for the first rehearsal of this production on um, August 15th, I, um, you know, we had to do our COVID tests before entering the room. And, you know, they hand you the packet. And uh, I was told, you know, oh, you can just go into this room. So I'm holding my COVID test, you know, <laughs> which I'm about to put in my nose. And I open the door. And first thing, no mask on. Sam Jackson's face just right there. (laughs) And so I I had to take a moment because I, you know, I said, I was not prepared to meet you yet. So I was ready to um, swap my nose. And he (laughs) goes, sir, I guess I must be getting old. (laughs) Sir. Um, So, you know, he was just very, um, you know, uh, disarming right away. And he said, who are you? (laughs) April Mathis, I'm playing Grace. Um, but, uh, you know, um, Danielle and I have mutual friends in the theater community. So she had heard of me. I know a lot of people she knows. Of course, I loved her work on Orange is the New Black. Uh, John David had actually uh, randomly worked with a friend of mine in Thailand recently. Hmm. And, um, you know, um, he was lovely and you know the first thing he said to me was you know i'm i'm just here to learn as much as possible because it was also his broadway debut mm-hmm. um and uh yeah everyone was just really latonya you know took me aside and hugged me and told me that she wanted to make grace into a a, a real person and she had actually been corresponding with me a couple of times via email um before the pandemic and during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, it, it felt very familial really quickly. And also uh, the Jacksons and uh, the Washingtons have had a long friendship. So uh, Latanya and Sam, they're married, by the way. Right. Um, Latanya and Sam have known John David uh since he was a child. So uh, it felt very, you know, familial in that way. They uh, have kind of taken him under their wing. And so I think this was a project that they really wanted to do with him. And uh, you just had that family atmosphere. Um, You know, we would, um, and still continue to have like uh, prayer circles before rehearsals and now before the show, I mean, voluntary, of course, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it really is the experience that's closest to my Texarkana family life than Mm. that I've had, uh, since I moved to New York. Uh, how long is the run? Are you going to be doing this for a while? Uh, through January 15th. Okay. So that's a that's a limited run for Broadway. It's 
17 weeks. And uh, I think that is due to everyone's very busy movie and television career schedules. Right. So there's still time. Uh, if anybody here is heading to New York to come check it out. Yes, we, we perform on Christmas Day, so you, you could come for holidays. What's next for you? What's next for me? Um, I am slated to do another play uh, at the same theater where I performed Tony Stone at the Roundabout Theater here uh, called um, Primary Trust. Um and that's supposed to happen next summer. And I just finished an independent film that is going to, uh, we have uh, a rough cut of that is going to be submitted to festivals. So that will probably be coming out sometime next year. And in the meantime, I'm, you know, auditioning and trying to, uh, get some work after January 15th. So we'll see. Well, we're also happy for you and proud of you here back home. And uh, thanks again for taking a little time to talk to us. I think it's been really interesting. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Uh, we'll see you later down the road. All right. Thank you so much. On the line is a Texarkana Gazette podcast recorded in Star Bear Studio, right here in downtown Texarkana, USA. Follow On the Line on Twitter at OTLTXK and on our website, texarkanagazette.com slash podcast. To support the show, post a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. The show is written Produced and edited by yours truly, Carl Richter. And I'd love to hear from you. Email me at krichter at texarcanagazette.com. I'll see you next time on the line.